Welcome to Reaching New Levels of Faith. My name is Curtis Hartshorn, and this is class number 16. Wow, it's hard to believe. We've made it through all the lessons, and this is the last one, class 16, on Do I Trust God? Everything that we've learned so far is culminated in that one question. Do I really trust God? As we close out this series, and we've been talking about how to develop our faith, how to figure out where we're at in our level of faith, and how to reach the, the next level, and we've learned about the struggles that we'll go through in faith, and we've looked at Bible characters, and we've been on such an amazing journey. It's hard to believe that we're going to culminate all this, but, but I want to, at the very end here, just kind of get back to the basics of what is faith. And faith is about putting our trust in God. Get out that workbook if you would and go ahead and open your Bible to Exodus chapter 15 because that's where we're going to be. 15 and 16 will be staying right there. So uh, we're going to look at an example of faithlessness of the Israelite nation and how they didn't trust God and just the lessons that we can learn from their mistakes so that hopefully we don't make the same ones. And the first point there in your workbook and on the, the screen is where the answer is to fill in the blank. God led the nation of Israel into the wilderness where they could not survive without His help. If you read with me in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the water became sweet. Now, when the Bible describes here the water being bitter, that means it was undrinkable. And then when he says he made it sweet, that means he made it uh, consumable, for is, is uh, suitable for human consumption again. But notice that God led them out of the land of Goshen into the wilderness of Shur. And I'm going to put a map up here for you to look at exactly what's going on. And you'll notice that Goshen is way up in the northern part of Egypt, up there in the Nile Delta. And if you look on this map, God is wanting to get this large group of people from Goshen over to Canaan. All he has to do is follow the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and they would be in Canaan. But instead, he leads them south across the Red Sea, and down into the wilderness of Shur, which in that area is probably the most incompatible partial of land that he could possibly lead them to. Now, either God didn't know his geography, which is not likely, or he does this intentionally. Well, obviously he did this intentionally. And why is he doing this? He wants to put them in a position where they are totally dependent upon him so that they have to trust him. Notice here next in your notes, they had no water until the Father provided the water for them. That's in verse 25. We're also going to find out that they had no food until the Father provided food for them. 
Look in the next chapter, chapter 16, verse 2 says, The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. The people, all they know is they don't have food. And so they grumble, they complain to Moses. And they say, well, Moses, it's just so obvious you brought us out here just to, to kill us all with hunger. And I could just kind of hear Moses saying, oh yeah, you got me figured out. That was, that was exactly my plan. No, that's not the plan. God is doing this intentionally. He is putting them in a position where he can test them. He says so at the end of verse 4. I want to test them. I want to see if they're going to follow my instruction. I want to know if these people are going to, to listen to me. If they're going to be my chosen people, which is what God had called them to be. They're reminiscing about when they were back in Egypt and oh, we had all these, this great food and oh, we had it so wonderful. And man, their memories are short because for 400 years they had been enslaved by the Egyptian people. Now he's trying to rescue them. He's trying to pull them out. And by the way, this is a, it says the whole congregation in verse two, we're talking about a large throng of people. Uh, back in chapter 12, in verse 37, it says, And the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. That's just the men aside from the children. And then the next verse says there was a mixed multitude that also went up with them. So we're talking about a million and a half people here conservatively. I mean, it is, this is a very large group of people. And God is taking care of them. He's providing them what they need. But they've got to learn to trust Him. He's testing them. Notice that people did not have to work or hunt for manna. Verse 4 says all they had to do is just go out and pick it up. So here's this throng of people. They're out in the wilderness. They don't have to hunt. They don't have to plant. Uh, I don't know what they did all day. <laughs> There's, time is, is, uh, is free for them. Their food is provided for them. All they have to do is go and pick it up. And God did this, as I already pointed out, to test whether they would trust Him or not. Verse 4. Now, God provides this. He provides the quail and the manna. And by the way, the word manna means, what is it? They didn't know what it was. And there's no really way for us really to know what it is. We're going to see some descriptions of it, but there's nothing on earth that we have that matches this. This is a bread that came down from heaven. In chapter 16, again, and starting in verse 19, it says, Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it till morning. He's still talking about the manna. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and it became foul. And Moses was angry with them. 
They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. There can be several things about this manna that, that makes no natural sense. How could this manna be something that would turn to maggots overnight and yet it's something also that as soon as the sun got hot, it would melt and go away. Um, there's a lot of things, we're gonna see some other things too, that it just doesn't make sense from a worldly point of view. But it makes sense because God made it make sense. It fit what he was trying to accomplish. He wanted them to eat this manna, this what is it? And I could just, uh, you just picture day after day, they're going and they're getting this manna and they're picking it up and it's like, well, what are we gonna have tomorrow? Oh, manna, oh, great, okay. Could you pass the manna? That was just the common meal. That's what they were gonna eat every single day. He's teaching them, just go pick it up, eat it. Don't gather more than you need to. God told them only to collect enough for one day in verse 16. Did they listen? No. The people disobeyed, the manna spoiled. For five days, God told them to collect enough for one day. Go get it. So each day he's doing this. Go get enough just for one day. Don't get more than that. The next day there will be enough for you. Go get enough for the next day and the next and the next. And then notice what he does. Five days God told them to collect enough for one day. Then look at verse 22. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered and it did not become foul nor was there any worm in it. For Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Five days, he's told him, go get this bread. Get only enough for one day. Don't get more than that. On the sixth day, he says, go get twice as much. Now this would have been Friday. On Friday, gather twice as much as you need. And the manna, verse 24, do not spoil. The manna shows up every single day for six days, but on Saturday, on the seventh day, the manna did not show up. Again, there's no natural explanation for why it happened this way. Why would Saturday, why wouldn't the food come on Saturday? It's not natural. This is bread from heaven. This is a gift from God. Go get enough now for two days. Why was the Lord doing this to them? Why was he giving them this bread that would spoil every day if they kept over, but on the Sabbath, or the day before the Sabbath, says get enough for two days, and the next morning it wouldn't spoil. And he said, you don't, don't go out and gather more. 
because there won't be any on the Sabbath day. There won't be any on Saturday. Of course, they didn't listen to that either. They went out together more. It wasn't there. Why was our Lord doing this? Well, he was teaching them to keep the Sabbath. And through keeping the Sabbath, he's teaching them to listen and to obey him. Let's read on in verse 27. He says, it came about on the seventh day. Some of the people went out together, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instruction? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. Stay in your house, he says. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer full of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. God says, don't go look for the food on Saturday, on the Sabbath, because it won't be there. But they didn't listen. They go out and they're looking for the food. He says, how long is this going to take for you to get this? Then I'm going to provide for you. Trust me. Over and over again, we see this message. A jar of this manna was kept with the Ark of the Covenant to remind them that Jehovah provides for them. Now think about this. They have this manna that spoils after one night. And they're going to take some of this manna and they're going to put it in a jar, a clay jar. And they're going to place it either next to the Ark of the Covenant or inside of the Ark of the Covenant. If you didn't catch that, that's what the language of verse 33 means. Place it before the Lord. That would be before the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant or next to it. And verse 34 says, placed it. They placed it before the testimony. That's where that is. So here's this manna, and it's in a jar, and it never spoils. And it's not because the, the jar is hermetically sealed or something. It's, it's just a clay jar with just a clay lid, not one that screws on, but just sits on there. And inside is this manna. And year after year after year, it doesn't spoil. This makes no sense from a natural point of view, but that's the point. It's not natural. It shows over and over again, this is from God. It has to be from God. And they ate this manna every day, every day for 40 years. It took 40 years for them to train, for God to train them to trust Him. God does things like this to see if people will trust Him. And God does things today like this to teach us 
to trust him. Do you trust God? You know, as we close out, I have a, a little test for you. Every class has a final, right? Well, this is your final. And it's not even questions. It's six statements that I want to put before you. And I want to see if you can actually say these things. Because we say we trust God. If, if somebody asks you, do you trust God? I'm sure you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I trust God. But to what extent do you trust God? Try these six statements on as a test of your faith. Can you honestly say these things? The first one is this. I trust God to forgive me for everything I have done, and I join Him by forgiving myself. I mean, it's one thing to say that you trust God, but do you honestly trust God to forgive you everything that you've done? I talked in the last class about how it's important that we, or excuse me, two classes ago about how it's important that we forget the past. Do you trust God to forgive you and will you forgive yourself? That is part of faith, learning to trust God. The second one is this. I trust God to forgive my brother for everything he has done. I join him by forgiving my brother. Now, if that first one wasn't hard, maybe the second one is. Are you really trusting God that he has forgiven your brother for everything? And are you willing to join God by forgiving your brother? Third statement goes like this. I trust God's ways over my own ways. I will obey God even when things don't go my way. Do you trust God with that part of your life? I'm trusting you, God, with your ways. I don't know where this is going. I know how I would like to see it go. But however it goes, God, I'm trusting you. That's faith. Fourth statement to test. I trust God to set the guidelines for all of my relationships. So you think about everybody that you have a relationship with in the world, any, any person that's in, that's in your sphere of influence. Is that relationship in God's hands? In other words, are you saying, God, you decide how strong this relationship is going to be. You decide how I'm going to treat this person and how I'm going to respond to them and how much influence they're going to have in my life. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good character. Perhaps there are some bad characters in your life that God doesn't want you to have that strong of a relationship with. Maybe there's others could be a very positive influence in your life. God wants you to have stronger relationships with that person. Do you trust God to set the guidelines for all the relationships in your life? Fifth statement. I trust God to place me wherever He wants me, and I will be content wherever He wants me. That's a tough one. God has me here. Maybe I'm not sure why He has me here. Can you honestly say, I'm going to be content with where I'm at right now? And if God wants me to move somewhere else and be someplace else, then that's what I'll do. I'll go where He wants me to go, or I'll stay right here if that's what He wants. But learning how to be content, whatever our circumstances are. And then the sixth test of faith. 
I trust God with all that I am and all that I have. I vow to trust Him more as I strive to reach new levels of faith. That kind of summarizes all of it, doesn't it? Everything I have, God, I, I place it all in my hand and I offer it up to you. And I'm not going to pull back. I'm going to leave it. And if you add things in, that's great. And if you take things out, that's fine. It's all yours, God. I trust you with all that I have. I trust you as I'm striving to trust you more, as I'm striving to reach new levels of faith. It has been an absolute joy sharing this message with you. I pray that you are continually to grow strong in your faith. And if there's anything more that I can do to help you, you can contact me through BibleTalk.tv. If you have any questions, if there's something that I didn't cover that you, you want me to answer, I'd be happy to answer your emails. Uh, any way that you, you uh, need me to contact you. Uh, there's just so much more to teach you. I, I feel like I'm leaving a lot of things out. But hopefully I've given you enough to whet your appetite to want to know more. The key is in the Bible. This is where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Always turn to God's Word, confident that He's going to guide you the right direction. Thank you for sharing this time with me. God bless you. We'll see you again soon.